You don't have any Stephen King. You've got the shoe. You mean shiny. Shh. You wanna get sued? It's just your fate. You're that geeky Stephen King kid. There's one of you in every school. Okay, that's him, that's him, that's Kujo, that's Kujo. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. Uh, We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content uh, spread across all of ObsessiveViewer.com's various podcasts. Um, Up there, you can get my... Uh, on Patreon at the $2 level, you can get my um, book read, read-along read reviews of Billy Summers, The Green Mile, um, tons of short short story collections, Night Shift, Skeleton Crew, uh, all of like all of them up until uh, Skeleton Crew, I don't know. Um, also, I'm currently doing Fairy Tale. Um, so all of that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and joining me as usual is Tiny. How's it going, Tiny? Hey, buddy. I am doing great. How are you, buddy? Nice. I'm doing quite well. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited because we have not had a proper episode of, uh, Tower Junkies since October. We dropped the ball. Uh, It's busy time of year for everyone. So, um, Mm -hmm. looking forward to chatting with you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And... As such, today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the 2013 um, edition of Carrie, directed by Kimberly Pierce. This is the final entry in our Carrie, um, <laughs> our Carrie uh, group of episodes. I don't know what what's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Uh, not retrospective, but our series on the the work of King and Carrie. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, we're going to be talking about t- the 2013 Carrie remake. Um, yeah. yeah, but before we do that, we do have news and check-ins to go through. Um, first, let's just check in with each other, see what we've been doing lately in regards to King. Uh, Tiny, what uh, have you been up to in, in the world of Stephen King? Not a ton other than uh, I did read and finish his latest uh, fairy tale. Nice. Um, I enjoyed that. We will be talking about it uh, mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Yep. Um, so there's that. Um, I went through, um, recently went through some of my bookshelf and I need to read a couple things. But uh, several, earlier this year, I think, I bought the... Um, basically the creep show comic book. Oh yeah. Um, 
that came out like with the I don't know if it came out with the movie, but it's like mm-hmm. a you know comic book version of the of of the movie. Yeah, uh, and uh, I need to read that. I, mm-hmm. I have it sitting by my bed. I need to crack that open and uh, nice. read that. So that's that's what I'll be doing next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have that too. I really need to to read that. Um, yeah, and and I think. I want to say that there is a behind-the-scenes book that's coming out of the new Creepshow show, or there might also be comics. I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, that's, that's definitely something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's another in a long list of Stephen King-related stuff. Um, as you mentioned, we are planning on covering Fairy Tale, hopefully uh, soon. Hopefully next month we'll have an episode reviewing Fairy Tale. But uh, to whet the listeners' appetites, what do you what did you think? Did you like it? I definitely did. Yeah, nice. um, it's you know I'm not sure where I would rank it yet or anything, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was good. I had a really good time with it. Nice. I'm still plugging away at it, uh, doing reviews uh, in hundred page increments on Patreon. Um, I'm hoping to get the uh, the rest of it done um before the before the new year so we'll be ready for the review um but yeah check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um i have is that all you had for check-ins yes sir okay nice um i have uh been working on fairy tale um i thought there was another check-in i was gonna do oh oh um yeah because it's been a while so um I wish I had it nearby, but uh, Jess uh, bought a cookbook, the Castle Rock uh, Castle Rock Kitchen cookbook, which is just filled with love for King. And uh, I can't remember if I talked about it in the last episode or not, but you know, I've I gotta talk about it. It's available on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, I did talk about it, I think, but yeah, it's it's. Um, yeah just give that a plug again the ca- uh, castle rock kitchen which wicked good recipes from the world of stephen king um the other thing i uh want to check in about is um no i don't think i have anything else really oh uh, i guess this is not technically a check-in but um next week uh last night i recorded an episode with Kim C from the year of underrated Stephen King, where we reviewed, um, the boogeyman and sometimes they come back Two short stories from night shift. And that episode is going to be posted on, uh, on the feed, uh, next week, next Wednesday, um, on December 20 something, uh, next Wednesday, the 29th, I believe. Oh, no, no, next Thursday, the 29th. Sorry. That's when it's going to post, um, uh, but it is available on Patreon right now. So if you want to support us uh, and throw some money at us uh, for the holiday season, you can sign up at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for early access to that episode. Plus there's a ton of content, but, um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I had a blast talking to Kim C again. Um, and those two short stories are incredible. Have you read either of them? Uh, no, I have mm-hmm. not. They're very, very good. And it's so funny because in, in talking about those two, um, those two stories, like I had kind of randomly picked them, um, and I hadn't really considered how similar they are to each other. 
And like in, in true Kim C fashion, like she was pointing out things that I did, it did not even register with me. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'm like, that. yeah. So I, like my mind was blown, uh, several times. I'm like, I didn't even pick up on that. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, so it was a really, really good time chatting with Kim C about those, those stories. And I, I think that I have not convinced her, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that she's going to go more into night shift. Um, because that, that collection is just so, so wild and awesome. Um, so I'm very excited to, at the prospect of her doing, um, uh, a full like episode on night shift. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so do you want to go to news? (laughs) Yes, sir. So I have already talked about this, that people are going to hear it next week on the show, but like a week or two ago, something happened, Tiny. (laughs) It did. And we haven't had an episode yet since this news broke. And it's, it brought me nearly to tears. Um, (laughs) So for background, um, Mike Flanagan, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the words, I'm going to say the words, the magic words that I've been saying over and over again, but Mike Flanagan has the rights to the Dark Tower. Is that yeah. not a magic sentence? <laughs> it is magical. Yes. Um, just amazing. And he, I've, we both have just long, long been fans of Mike Flanagan. And the, uh, like I, I, I said, Months ago, when he was talking about, um, when he talked about the, the, um, when he talked about the Dark Tower as his Everest, uh, I think it was, uh, to the AV club, when he said that it's like, it is his dream adaptation and everything. Like, I was like, he is, he is the person, he is the one person I would trust with the Dark Tower. Uh, I, I 100% would. Um, yeah. And now we know that he has the rights. He has, he has worked out an outline. He envisions it as five seasons of a show with one or two feature films to cap it off. And he's got the blessing of Stephen King. Um, he's written the pilot episode. It, he, he just, it, he has to shop it around. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, tiny, I have a clip of his interview that he gave. It's like a three minute clip of him talking about the dark tower to the AV club before this news broke. Do you mind if I play this and then we can talk about your reaction to it and everything? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to play the clip now. As a tower junkie, I would be remiss if I did not tell you that I absolutely caught that illustrated gunslinger book that dusty has well done. Uh, can you can you just talk to me for a second about why you keep coming back to that damn tower? And uh, oh god, like, can we just talk about what a Mike Flanagan Dark Tower movie would look like? Can we just do that for like one second? Yeah, of course. Look, I I have that conversation with myself every day. It, it's my dream project, and I keep coming back to it because I can't. It has its own gravity. I can't I can't get too far away from it for too long. 
nothing would be a bigger honor or make me happier in my career than to be able to work on that. What it would look like, it would look like the books, you know? I mean, the, the thing for me is, and and no disrespect to 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 the film or, or other other people's approaches with adaptation, but you hear the stories of like, I, when I saw the movie, it's like they're starting at this whole other place. You know, it's like I wanted the first, it would be a black screen and the words, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed would come up on silence and you'd hear the wind and we'd gradually fade up to this Lawrence of Arabia-esque landscape with a silhouette in the distance just making his way across the hard pan and we would build it out from there in order to the end and and it would just be a, a question of taking the more fantastic elements that might be harder to connect to especially you know where it gets pretty meta at midpoint and grounding it just pulling it in but otherwise the characters are are, are who they are the arc is what it is and I think the the way not to do the Dark Tower is to try to turn it into something else, to try to make it Star Wars or make it Lord of the Rings. Like it's what it is. What it is is perfect. It's just as exciting as all of those things and just as immersive. And it's it's a story. It's a story about a tiny group of people and, the, and all the odds in the whole world are against them and they come together. It's like if as long as it's that it'll be fine and it'll be there won't be a dry eye in the house is it a series is it a is it a franchise of, of feature films you know i don't know it's 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 all of those things I, it's it's none of them it's it's a uh, it would be it would be my everest to do that but nothing would make me happier and god i hope i hope there's a chance um i really do we are we're all pulling for you and uh, i think if i think if uh we can take three Spider-Men in one movie. We can take, uh, you know, we can take Father Callahan from the 70 Salem's lot, you know, walking in. Absolutely. I think we can do that. We're there. We're there. Horror fans are there. Yeah. So, so that was, so that was on October 29th. And then, um, he, uh, let's see. So that was October 29th. And then on November, November 11th, you sent me a link to a TikTok that he had, um, that Mike Flanagan had on TikTok where, uh, 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 his wife is reading the gunslinger. Um, yeah. And then it was announced, uh, I don't know when it was announced that he was leaving Netflix and he didn't, uh, got a new deal with Amazon. Um, let's see, Amazon new deal. I'm trying to very quickly... Uh, so a few weeks ago, um, he, uh, yeah, so, okay. So it was three weeks ago that, uh, on December 1st, the deal, the, it broke that, uh, Mike Flanagan and Trevor Macy Inc. overall TV deal with Amazon studios leaving Netflix. And so when that happened, I was like, Amazon has the rights to the dark tower. Like they have the rights, like, okay, this is interesting. Um, so that was December 1st. And then on, uh, December 8th, uh, the Dark Tower TV series in the works from the haunting creator, Mike Flanagan. So tiny, that timeline, how do you feel? I'll yield the floor to you after giving that very rough timeline. (laughs) 
Christmas came early in 2022. Yes. Um, basically, yeah. I mean, I like I I shared it uh, on Facebook and I said like this is the best news ever. I mean, full stop. Like I this this is the dream. Um uh it's 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 like Denis Villeneuve getting Dune, you know. Mm-hmm. I that's that's what it it feels even better than that. Um yeah, I I don't even know how to articulate it more, but um I I'm not super familiar with Amazon mm-hmm. and and their I, there are a couple Amazon shows I watch and they're great. Mm-hmm. Um and, and you know I I think it's a good studio to work for and work with for, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would have preferred it to stay at Netflix. You know mm-hmm. uh, I I I'd, I'd prefer Mike Flanagan to stay at Netflix and develop the Dark the Dark Tower there. Mm-hmm. But um, I I think he's going to have just the same amount of carte blanche that he, at Amazon that he did there. I don't I don't think he's going to have any problems. Yeah, I um, I agree, and it's it's. It's worth it to note that it hasn't been sold to Amazon yet, um, just that he has the rights to the Dark Tower. So it could right. end up at Netflix. It could end up at Apple TV. It could end up on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. God, I hope not. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. my, my, own, my only concern, and again, it may, it may not even be an issue. My only concern is just budgetary because I think yeah. – was there ever an official explanation as to why Amazon didn't move forward with Glenn Mazzara's pilot? I don't think so. My my kind I think of it was it was just speculation that they mm-hmm. spent over a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings in yeah. the fantasy realm and they didn't want to, you know, do something else. Yeah, I think I think the kind of conventional wisdom is that Amazon bought up Wheel of Time, Dark Tower, Lord of the Rings, they threw as many things out in the fantasy realm as they could, and Dark Tower is just one that got the short shrift in terms of not getting picked up. Um, yeah. yeah, which is a shame because I I do I love I love Glenn Mazzara. I love his his take sounds very unique and interesting, but yeah, I just I, it's so interesting because the the article and I'll have links to this all in the show notes, of course. But the article where he talks about having the rights to the Dark Tower, Mike Flanagan says like he he says the words that we have said like over the course of the last several years. He says that he he made Gerald's Game, he made Doctor Sleep, two Stephen King adaptations that are that were impossible to make. Like he like it was. Gerald's game was unfilmable forever. Uh, Dr. Sleep, why would he bring himself into the crosshairs of Kubrick fandom and Stephen King fandom to do something that incredible with Dr. Sleep? And mm-hmm. he said, he said that those were, it's it's similar to what Denis Villeneuve said about Arrival and um, Blade Runner 2049. Like this is like, practice for his passion project this is mike flanagan's practice for the dark tower it's it was denny villeneuve's practice for dune and it's just yeah it's 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 just so amazing and like i the best thing ever it is it is and like it's not confirmed (laughs) nothing is nothing is solidified nothing is nothing is 100 guaranteed but if if i 
if I could say, like, if I could give the keys to the Dark Tower series to anyone in the film industry and trust that they would be able to get it off the ground and actually get it on air and get it actually in production and everything, the one person I would trust that to is Mike Flanagan because yes. he clearly has a passion for it and he has the industry cachet, I guess, um, to get the ball rolling with that. Um, and yeah. it's just, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, did I send you the TikTok he made where he, um, he shared all of the, I, I don't remember the term and all the term where he's like, he has a literal bound book yes. of like the story boards of all his stuff. Yes. I, I think you, I, I watched it and I, we talked about it a little bit. I don't know who shared who, yeah. but yeah, it, it was, I talk about it in next week's episode with Kim C, but he has bound editions of like all the shot lists and pre-production stuff that he and his team do. And he describes it in that TikTok as being like a very thorough thing. They, they map out every shot of the film or TV show before they go into production. It's grueling. And he has these just beautiful like bound editions of them with like it's it's incredible and and yeah and yeah so yeah that it was great i yeah i just i picture i picture that shelf in his house mm-hmm. of the the dark tower like that he showed the uh midnight mass one and it's mm-hmm. like it's like uh, an old bible like yes. it's super thick and huge and like i picture like seven of those oh yeah and that's the dark oh, yeah. tower you know and it's just i was it just gets me excited. Um, but yeah, yeah. like I, I was saying, I think my only hesitation with this setup is that he's at Amazon, but he, like you said, he has the opportunity to shop it around. So yeah. um, any constraints that, or any any past history that Amazon has is sort of irrelevant. Right. Um, so yeah, there's any number of good places that this could land, but I, I really hope it's, either Amazon or Netflix just because they're yeah. the two I feel like they're the two biggest and they're the most accessed mm-hmm. and I want this to be huge because oh, it yeah. deserves to be huge um it really yeah. does it really does yeah. man I just <laughs> I I uh it's 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 an amazing time and nothing is even confirmed mm-hmm. it is an ama- it's an amazing time but yeah um Another thing that we we talked about, and I talk about it with Kim next week, but uh, in that TikTok, it's very heartbreaking to see the bound shot list binding thing of Revival on his shelf. It is... Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. so It hurts. Yeah. So let that be a maybe cautionary do, tale. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll do so well with the Dark Tower that... He'll be like, yeah. What 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 else do you want to do? And he's yeah. just like, oh, I already I already have this like halfway ready to go. How about we do that? They're right? Like, sure. <laughs> oh God, that would Who be knows? great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Uh. So yeah. So, um, we need to actually cover the Dark Tower on the podcast proper. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Now that gears are in motion for future a future adaptation being in development, maybe we could do that sooner rather than later. Um, but I, like I was telling Kim this, that, uh, when the news broke, like I went on, uh, went on to audible and I just like, I was working, I was in, I was at the office working and like, I just started playing the gunslinger and like, I just started listening to the audiobook of the gunslinger and I was just like, it's reeling me back in. I can, I can see myself just diving headfirst back into it and everything and 
doing like Patreon stuff and official podcast stuff. I don't know, but that's all 2023 plans. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't yet sent you the, uh, any big document of podcast plans that I will inevitably not follow through on, but it's it's a yearly tradition for me to do that to you. (laughs) Right. So, so yeah. Any other thoughts on the dark tower? Just excited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's got me chomping at the bit and wanting to start reading it again I, yeah. I i have never i think i said it on the podcast i've never listened to the audiobooks oh yeah that's right i've, I've only ever read hard copies mm-hmm. so um that'd be an interesting it, it'd be a new way to experience it and that has yeah. me excited so oh yeah. absolutely we'll uh we'll we'll get some planning done we'll get some planning done yeah totes because yeah. i have everything mapped out i i have like i know <laughs> i know how many episodes we do to cover the entire series i know exactly what we would do for patreon i know what i would do like i know all this stuff like yeah it's <laughs> it's ridiculous and then i even started it was it's it's a sickness i have so <laughs> um so or a yeah. gift yeah well sickness but yeah <laughs> but thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are news and check-ins for uh, this episode of Tower Junkies. Uh, do you want to go into our review of Kimberly Pierce's 2013 remake of Carrie? Absolutely. All right, great. So as we normally do, we are going to be doing a non-spoiler review of the film, and then we are going to go into a spoiler section, which is going to be divided up with music, so you know when to stop if you haven't watched the movie. And uh, and yeah, if you have watched the movie um, or whatever, uh, also timestamps, all this stuff. If you want to, if you want to jump to the spoiler section, there's timestamps in the show notes of the episode, which also can be found at towerjunkiespod.com slash 082. And finally, um, (laughs) uh, Carrie, this edition of Carrie is available to stream on Amazon Prime Video as of this recording. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. Um, so the, I'll go ahead and run down some information about the movie and then we can get into our non-spoiler review. Does that sound good to you, Tiny? Yep. Okay, cool. So Carrie 2013 was, was released on October 18th, 2013, obviously. Uh, the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is a shy girl outcast by her peers and sheltered by her religious mother unleashes telekinetic terror on her small town after being pushed too far at her senior prom. Uh, the film stars Chloe Grace Moretz as Carrie White, and this was her, this up to this point has been her only Stephen King related project in her career. And co-stars Julianne Moore as Margaret White, who of course starred in last year's Lisey's Story on Apple TV+. And she was also in a segment of Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Uh, the segment was Lot 249, which was um, adapted from uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, so not Stephen King's. And uh, the rest of the cast are Judy Greer as Miss Desjardins, uh, only Stephen King project uh, in her in her filmography as of now, and Gabriella Wilde as Sue Snell, also her only uh, Stephen King project, and Rounding out the cast is Portia Doubleday as Chris Harginson, also her only Stephen King project, <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, writer for the movie, writers for the movie were uh, Lawrence D. Cohen and Roberto Aguirre, uh, Aguirre uh, Sacasa. Uh, Lawrence Cohen uh, wrote the 1990 It miniseries, the 93 Tommyknockers miniseries, and one episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes from the stories of Stephen King. And Roberto Aguirre, uh, Aguirre, I'm so sorry I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, uh, Sacasa, this is his only Stephen King project. However, he did write, uh, on film, it's his only Stephen King film project, uh, though he did write the stand uh, comic book adaptations. And rounding out the crew, (laughs) director is Kimberly Pierce. This is her only Stephen King project in her filmography. So having run down all of that information, Tiny, uh, in non-spoiler thoughts, what were your expectations going into Carrie 2013? And how did you feel about it uh, in non-spoilers? And you saw it in 2013 as well, didn't you? Yep. Nice. So what did you think now versus then? Sure. My my expectations then were pretty high. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz was huge at the time. She she blew up with the Kick-Ass movies. Um, yeah. And I was a huge fan of hers. I was blown away by how good she was as a, as a child actor, um, and to see her cast in the role. So I was really I was really excited to see her cast in the role. Uh, Love Julianne Moore. So you know that was another big win. Um, and I wasn't familiar with the property at the time. So I had a lot of high hopes for this. I thought it was going to be huge. And, um, I never had a lot of enthusiasm for the old movie at the time. And I was just like, you know, let's hopefully this just blows it out of the water and it's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I liked it at the time, uh, when it came out back in 2013, but I, it certainly didn't meet my expectations. I I wasn't blown away. Um, I felt like Chloe Moretz was a little, um, subdued maybe um she she didn't quite go ham as the kids say like (laughs) like i thought she would um it it just it just didn't seem like it reached full potential to me back back in the day um and and watching it now a lot of that is echoed and repeated and then i i feel the same way um i think i respect it a little more i think i think i respect parts of it a little more but overall i my opinion of it went down just a tiny bit mm-hmm. um i i do still think it's 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 a decent adaptation and i do still like it but um yeah nothing 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 it doesn't match the book or it doesn't it doesn't live up to the book uh, right is what i meant to say um i don't i don't think I don't know if it's just you can't adapt this story or what it is, but I feel like none of the adaptations have lived up to the book. Um, yeah. and, and and I don't know if it's just that our imaginations are are better than what they can put on film. I, I really don't mm-hmm. know what it is, but um, n- none of them have felt as... Um, none of the adaptations have felt as immersive and, uh, you know... Uh, mental and cerebral uh, as as the book is, um, mm-hmm. and I yeah I, I just I, I'm just I just don't know that it's adaptable. I, I don't I don't know that it's adaptable to its full potential. Let me put it that way. I, yeah. I, I just feel like the visuals are never there. Um, yeah, but it's you know it's it's a decent movie. I you know I it did not need to be made for a third time that's <laughs> right for damn sure uh, with the two with the 2000 adaptation mm-hmm. um and you know that was just kind of a weird thing and this this seemed like sort of a in retrospect it seems like sort of a money grab maybe yeah. or 
I don't know, like just, you know, like, oh, let's just remake this because we have the rights to it, you know? So. Yeah. I yeah, it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's funny because like we, uh, if memory serves, we weren't too hot on the, uh, on the, the Brian Fuller adaptation. Um, and that, that was an adaptation that I, I, I had watched all of them, um, in 2013. And I remember feeling kind of, kind of positive on the Brian Fuller adaptation, um, in the lead up to this. And I, and I vaguely remember thinking that this was solid. Like I remember thinking like, yeah, it's not, it's not the book. It's never going to be the book, but they at least do some really cool things to bring it into the modern era and everything. And rewatching it again now in 2022, um, I do still respect it for doing some things kind of, well, I don't even know if I'd go that far to, uh, of praise for it because, um, the kind of the main sticking point for me in 2013 was that, oh, I thought it was clever and interesting that they did that, that the whole plug it up scene, they changed it around a little bit to where, the a video is uploaded of it and the, so that brings like a more public humiliation and a lot bigger um a, a bigger kind of torment uh that's that's even uh, that's outside of that one specific moment and i thought at the time i thought oh that's really interesting and i like that they included that but then watching it now they include it and it's fine but it doesn't go anywhere. Like it doesn't, it, I put in my letterbox review. If you're on letterbox, by the way, follow us. Uh, I'm obsessive viewer. Tiny's obsessive tiny. Um, but anyway, um, I put in my letterbox review that, uh, the, the uploading the video is just plot lip service and completely inconsequential, inconsequential to the story. And I think that there is such a missed opportunity to really just not necessarily have, you don't necessarily have to make Carrie a cautionary tale against bullying or anything, but I think that there is an opportunity to make it into, um, into bullying in the social media era and do something unique with it. And like watching this version, it's like, it's, it's like they were so close to it. They were so close to getting it and then they just didn't do it. They just dropped it. And that, that was kind of a bummer. Um, but I do think Chloe Grace Moretz was okay. She was fine. Um, a lot of people felt like she was miscast and I do understand that. And I do agree with that, but she does a good job of playing this outsider character, uh, pretty well. And, uh, with what she's given, she does a, she does a fine job. Um, and even though like the visual effects and uh, of like the ending, the climax and everything, all that's solid, that's good. Um, and I like that they upped the scale of destruction and everything. It really, at the end of the day, the movie just feels like a kind of just almost beat for beat recitation of the story rather than a unique modern take on the story and I think that that just kind of gives it this lack of texture that could have been really interesting to see in 2013 if they had kind of gone full bore into it but like you said Tiny I do think it was kind of a cash grab sort of uh, opportunity for a remake um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They didn't they didn't tap into the depth all that well of of the story. Um yeah. but I, I will say as far as the um performances, I think Julianne Moore is my favorite, Margaret White. Mm-hmm. And I think Judy Greer is my favorite, Mr. Jardin. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked both. I liked both of those, but then uh, both of those performances. Um, I, I think Judy Greer is just so spunky and mm-hmm. peppy and fun, and it's she. She has a history of comedic acting. Yeah. Um. So to see her in that role was just a sort of breath of fresh air. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. But then on the other the other hand, like the the guy who played Billy Nolan, I. I I could not. Anytime he opened his mouth, I was like, I want him to be in pain. I hate this guy. I wow. And I think part of it's the writing. The mm-hmm. writing was just so bad. But man, he just and he's supposed to be an unlikable, you know, a disliked yeah. character. But good lord, I just it wasn't that. It was his. It was his choices as an actor that I just mm-hmm. could not tolerate and i just i just couldn't stand it um yeah it was incredibly annoying to me and and i think some of that rubbed off on porsche doubleday as chris harginson because mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't uh appreciate her performance all that much yeah. either so um yeah it was it was a mixed bag in that regard I, mm-hmm. I think the direction they took with sue snell um was good you know they didn't try to reinvent the wheel with her she, she right. was a pretty good kind of a guide like she's supposed to be mm-hmm. um uh and gabriella wilde was fine she she, yeah. she did a fine job with it so yeah I, I, that's kind of just my thought on the performances i i understand why people thought chloe grace moretz was miscast but mm-hmm. i i loved her intensity as hit girl you know and yeah. i i think she has the the ability to pull that off and it was just sort of um it just sort of didn't work out in this movie. Again, I think maybe some of it was the directing or the writing. I don't want to lay it all on her shoulders, but right. uh, yeah. And and I think of the three actresses to play Carrie, she's the one that's like the most blatantly pretty. Um, yeah. Like, you know, like doesn't fit the mold of a tradition of like what Carrie is supposed to be. Yeah. 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 I think that that was kind of the big, the big sticking point for people was that, um, was that she's just she just doesn't seem like she would she didn't seem like she would be able to kind of take that outcast sort of role um her being like it, it seemed like a hollywoodization of Carrie White rather than actually respecting the source material and going for a more um true to true to story um actress yeah um right but yeah, the actor who plays uh, uh, Billy Nolan, he is Alex Russell. He is actually uh, one of the stars of the uh, CBS series SWAT, um, which hmm. I actually watched a little bit of, um, produced by Sean Ryan. Um, okay. I just could not get behind his uh, his choices for that character. Um, yeah, I don't really remember. I don't think I really had any any big qualms with his performance, but I do know that it like him and Portia Doubleday just together just didn't work for me. It, they just felt like right. very, very just not in, not necessarily not intimidating, but it just, they just felt very cookie cutter or, or archetypical, like just stereotypes. Um, yeah, and I feel like that relationship in the book has undertones to it that influence yeah. how they both act throughout the the book. And oh yeah, I don't know that it's been present throughout 
either any of the three adaptations and this this one yeah. is the most egregious mm-hmm. um but yeah it that that seems to be something that i think because i think um the Seuss or the uh, chris Hargenson character it's easy to just sort of mark her as the kind of just bully who's full of herself mm-hmm. um super popular girl pretty girl whatever um but I think there's more depth to her in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just unfortunate that that's never been tapped into in any of these adaptations because it makes it a much more... Uh, it's a much better experience for the audience and it's more relatable and um, just, again, provides a lot more depth to, yeah. the, to the whole the character and the whole story all around, you know, the conflict, the main conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And, and it's funny, um, uh, a bit of trivia about uh, Alex Russell. Um, uh, this is from IMDb. Um, while at the pig farm, Billy Nolan kisses the sledgehammer uh, before killing the pig. Alex Russell got sick after this because there were pig droppings on the sledgehammer. Uh, yeah, I read that too. Yeah, that that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just... My big sticking point with the movie is still to go back to the kind of commentary about bullying or, or just teenagers in general, like, like this, it, this, like the story of Carrie is like a cautionary tale, a horror story, and like the inverse of a coming of age story. It is, it is like, it is a dark coming of age story. Um, it's a coming of darkness kind of story. And the, the introspective quality of Carrie White and of the characters surrounding Carrie White, like you said, with, uh, with, with, uh, Chris and, and Billy, like there's a lot of subtext to all of them. And what this movie does is it just makes it kind of just reduces it to mean girls at school and a religious zealot mother who is abusive and a character who's curious, a, a, a young woman who's curious about telekinetic powers that she's discovering. And like on paper, like that all works pretty well, but there's just no heart to it. There's no subtext to it. There's no, uh, there's no delving into the characters in a way that I would have found more satisfactory than what we got. I agree. Yeah. It's, you know, it just comes to, it comes comes around to depth all all around it's mm-hmm. just absent yeah 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 to the point that i kind of uh <laughs> don't like i didn't know how much i would have to say about this especially with us covering this story so much um right me too but yeah um another piece of trivia um, is that uh, Kimberly Pierce was proud of her work on the film. She was disappointed that the studio interference compromised her original vision for the film. Her intention was to make a more faithful adaptation of the novel and not try to imitate the 1976 version. However, studio executives forced her to excise 40 minutes of footage and reshoot several scenes in order to make the film a true remake of the 1976 version. Um, which kind of explains quite a bit um yes it does yeah yeah because it does have that feel of a hatchet job by the studio Um, it feels over overproduced yeah absolutely absolutely um Yeah. yeah it's it's rough 
Um, and I mean, in I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of struggling with things to say about it as well. Um, yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. Well, I'll save that for the end of the episode. But well, actually, let's let's go into um spoilers here in just a second, but what do you think should be done if they were to ever do another Carrie remake like on on a big budget you know studio production i think it would be important to um to jump uh jump perspectives because because i think it's um i i think the depth is missed because they don't care enough about Margaret White and Sue Snell and Chris Harkinson and Mr. Jardin. Like, I think, I think if we spend more time with those supporting characters, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it allows the audience to empathize with all of them more instead of just viewing them from the outside or observing them from the outside. I think it, again, adds depth to those characters and shines light on their motivations for how they act throughout the story. And mm-hmm. like, I think, I think a semi sympathetic Chris Harkinson is the best thing they could do for this story. Yeah. Um, because in the book, there's that part about how she's kind of like, uh, she's, I think it's her where she's like having, having sex with, with, uh, Billy Nolan. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, if I don't, if I don't do it, he's just going to take it from me. Yes. Um, you know, and that, that attitude is rooted in something, you know what I mean? That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that thought is the result of trauma, you know, uh, something she's been through or we, we, at least as an audience need to have the knowledge that she thinks that way, you know what I mean? Like if she has that, says that line in a, in a casual conversation or something with one of her friends, um, I think stuff like that would really, and if we got a little more backstory on Margaret White, yes, um, yes, and some more inner monologue from Mrs. Desjardins, mm-hmm. I, I think all those things. It's, it's. I feel like it's the supporting cast because mm-hmm. really, the whole story is just conflict between characters. There's not like a ton of plot. Like it's a lot right. of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of characters posturing with one mm-hmm. another. You know, posturing um, and planning a, and putting things in yeah. motion. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, that's, and then it culminates in this huge action piece mm-hmm. at the end. And and I, f- I feel like the buildup is just never good enough to that big action piece. I think, I think all three adaptations have done a decent job mm-hmm. of trying to make that a big, a big blow up at the end. You know, yeah. I feel like none of them have reached the full potential, but um, I, I mean, actually, you know, the 2000 adaptation, where she's walking down the street and literally everything is like crumbling around her. Like that's, that's what I, like the fence is falling over. The mailboxes are crumbling. The houses are shattering. The windows are shattering. Fire hydrants are shooting off into the air. Like that's what I envision. Yeah. With her telekinesis going, going up to 11. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with that adaptation is the CGI was so freaking bad. It looked like, it looks like a, a college sophomore did it on his laptop, you know? It just, it looks so bad. Yeah. Um, And that's not really anyone's fault. That's just kind of mm-hmm. how it was back then. Yeah. Even on basic cable budget, you know? I, I just, 
it's such a shame because I appreciated the vision, but it just looked really bad. I um, I agree, and I know that I was kind of a defender of it. Um, I think rightly so. I yeah, but like it, I think you're justified. Yeah, but like it's also it is also a shame. I do I do recognize like the potential is there for something really really good, but just either through studio interference, like in this case, or um, budgetary constraints and technology constraints with the 2002 version um i don't know and and i kind of feel like i am i don't necessarily remember how how like i fared or came down on on de palma's movie but it's a classic it's it's iconic it's incredible Uh, like there are very good things in there but there's still like there. I feel like there's still a more honest carry adaptation and a more thought provoking one to be made. And I don't think anyone has really dove into the social dynamics of the characters and the idea of, you know, teenagers suffering in hell, basically. (laughs) And because like, like, like you were saying, like all the stuff that they could have gone into and I I'm still kind of get stuck on the whole Chris Harginson thing um because uh like there's a there's a thing with her father um uh lodging a complaint against uh Miss Desjardins or Desjardins um and I I I think that it's touched on here but I feel like I feel like that is an is another opportunity that's wasted because that's an opportunity to really really show us what Chris's home life is like what her life is really like like give us these hints that she's that she's this terrible person because of circumstance and because of things in her life and everything that aren't that great don't make her just a cookie cutter villain like mean girl villain or anything like give depth to the characters and give a certain level of uh dimension to their motivations to do this thing and it's i don't know i just feel like it's it's kind of a a missed opportunity across the board i totally agree mike flanagan needs to do it yes yes mike flanagan needs to get all of the rights to all of the stephen king things and just that needs to be his thing (laughs) forever um carry the carry story needs some mike flanagan monologues yes 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 oh yeah (laughs) um (laughs) i forgot to mention that too the brief tangent then we can go into spoilers um i saw people that like when the dark tower news hit uh people were saying like oh yeah it's gonna have it's gonna have a ton of uh, like like dismissively saying that because mike flanagan it wants to make the dark tower that the dark tower is going to be uh, filled with monologues every episode and everything, because that's what Mike Flanagan does. Like they say that derisively, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, do you not know right? what the dark tower is? Like, in, like <laughs> that is perfectly in line with what the dark tower is. Like, give me one whole break. book is a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like yeah. there is an entire book where they're sitting around a campfire telling a story like <laughs> Jesus. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Like my actual I, I ended up tweeting tweeting that sentiment and um I'm gonna be an idiot and just read the tweet because I 
I retweet a lot. Yeah, um, I've seen some snarky reactions to the Dark Tower news where people are saying Flanagan is going to fill each ep with monologues. Like, yes, please. <laughs> that would be amazing since, <laughs> you know, a major theme of the entire series is the connective power and importance of storytelling. Like, uh, it's just, it's... There's a whole conversation to be had about people that have knee-jerk reactions to news and everything. Um, right. Yeah. It's, I think it's something that Mike has said. Uh, I think it's, I think, I don't know. A lot of people have said this, that, you know, you don't need to have a take on everything. Like it's okay to yeah. sit out and not comment on something if you don't have an actual thought about it. Um, right. Yeah. So anyway, I agree. Yeah. Um, speaking of thought, thoughtless banter, uh, do you want to go into spoilers for Carrie 2013? Sure. Okay. Well, we are going to go into spoilers for the 2013 Carrie remake. And to bring us into that, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. And, uh, and then when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Carrie 2013. So here we go. It's not even in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. Go to your closet and pray. No. No! You pray, little girl. You pray for forgiveness. If I concentrate hard enough, I can make things move. other people out there like me who can do what I can do. You know a devil never dies? Keeps coming back. You gotta keep killing him. No! So that's from the trailer for Carrie 2013. Uh, we're going to go spoilers on for Carrie. So, uh, you know, if you haven't watched it, uh, go check it out and listen to the spoilers. So, um... We didn't really talk that much about Julianne Moore. Um, mm -hmm. I think she was fine. I know that you are more of a fan of her performance here than I think I am. But my kind of uh, my the thing that I'm sticking sticking to on that on that front is it just when you have like Piper Laurie in the 76 movie, like I don't, I feel like Julianne Moore doesn't do enough to really differentiate her performance here um, from Piper Laurie. Um, and I just kind of feel like it's, it's a good solid performance. There's some interesting things uh, like she captures that just religious crazy person persona really well, but Again, I don't think there's enough in the movie to really differentiate it from really any of the other takes on it. And I think that's both a fault of the writing and, and studio interference as well, because I'm sure that probably a lot of the stuff that was on the cutting room floor, hopefully, I would think, would have uh, further developed uh, that relationship. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think for me... I, I think Piper Laurie was over the top, in, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I I didn't really care for her in that regard. Um, Patricia Clarkson was way too subdued. Yeah. Um. And but but for me, I I think I think uh, um, Julianne Moore just 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 hit it perfectly. She nailed it, in my opinion. I, nice. I think her 
And I, I think I think she's the the best of the three actors. Um, I love Patricia okay. Clarkson as well, but yeah, but um, Julie Julianne Moore can just pull off intensity really well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, she just has so much emo- emotional depth. Um, yeah, I I think I think part of it is that I think of the three. Margaret White's. I think she was the most violent of the three of them, if yeah. I remember correctly. I, I want to say right. she is, and it may maybe that's what made it jump out to me more, um, or or what I connected to more. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, I she's she's my favorite. You know, I yeah, I, I wish I could articulate more, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah. that's totally fair, and I do respect Julianne more as as an actor for sure. Um, and I do think that there are some some solid things in it. Like I'm not saying that it's a bad performance by any stretch. I just think that it's not quite enough done to differentiate it from from the other versions. But there are like a couple of things. I think there's a moment where she's like kind of pricking herself with a with a clothespin at the laundry mm-hmm. mat. That's like that's that's a nice kind of like subtle thing there. But also. Yeah the kind of final confrontation with her and Carrie where she tells the story of her being conceived and how it's, uh, how she was, uh, how she was laying with, with her, uh, with her husband. And he, I don't think she necessarily says that he raped her. Maybe he, maybe she did, but, um, but I do like how that's just punctuated with her just stabbing her. Like at the at the end of like that moment, she stabs her in the back, and and that's when all like everything kind of comes to a head with them. How did you feel about all that? Yeah, again, it's I think I think the violence is poignant. I mm-hmm. I really appreciate that they didn't shy away from it in mm-hmm. in this this adaptation. Um, yeah, and you know, I maybe maybe I need to give a little more credit to this version of margaret white but uh, mm-hmm. yeah i i don't know I, I i just really liked what they did with her the direction they took with her i also really appreciated um it's not exactly what i wanted per se but her her death scene um where she kind of launches the knives at her yeah um it's pretty cool i mean i i think mm. i like i like in the book and then in the movie um i think it's in the movie i can't remember the uh Sissy Spacek movie. If she does what she does in the book, where she just like stops her heart, or like I think that does was she do in, that? That was in the two thousand two TV movie. And the I book. remember that. Yeah. yeah, I don't think in she does book, it in, yeah. in in the in the De Palma film. I don't think she does it then. Okay, I didn't think so either. No. Um, but uh, th- that was kind of cool with the knives. I, I think what I'd like to see is just. Maybe I'm just says something weird about me, but if like <laughs> I think it'd be cool if she just like used her telepathy to rip her heart out of her body. Oh, that would like, be that would be pretty good. I don't know what's yeah. wrong with me, but I I guess I, <laughs> I kind of want to see that. I don't know why I want to see that, but I don't know. Um, I think just because it would be so out of left field and wicked. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I like the, the, the knife thing was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, like it. There, there was some religious imagery in there, which I thought mm-hmm. was kind of poignant. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was definitely it, it was stylistically it was pretty solid. It was an it was an interesting kind of meld of you know, uh big budget like kind of um kind of like not gratuitous but like uh spectacle 
spectacle violence with some interesting religious imagery attached to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel like that that was a pretty satisfactory um, end to that dynamic and everything. Um, and this movie also has the added benefit of not being created as a backdoor pilot for a TV show that never was never made like the <laughs> 2002 uh, version. But how'd you feel about the end with the graves and, and, uh, and the, um, Oh, oh God, the graffiti and all that, like the Carrie White burns in hell, I think. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And then I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was pretty rock and roll kind of, I guess is <laughs> nice. how I would, would explain it. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was like, like the cover of a metal album is what it looks sure. like, I guess. Um, yeah, it just, it kind of worked. It kind of worked for me, I guess. I, nice. I, I don't know. I don't really know a good way to end this, uh, this, uh, story, I guess. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the the 2002 adaptation that one was horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was just again just kind of rock and roll that kind of mm-hmm. comes to mind. I sort of I sort of like that. Nice, that's fair. And I think that there is a um, I uh, I I think that another kind of failing of it really is, or maybe not even necessarily a failing of it of this iteration of it, but I think that. I think that something that's missing from a lot of the adaptations we've seen with, to a certain extent, with the exception of the 2002 TV movie is I feel like we don't get here. We don't get a good sense of the community at all. Like there's nothing like it's when you have a community that's being destroyed by this telekinetic presence after a after a bunch of teenagers were murdered um by the same person like i kind of wish that there was a little bit more about the community and and having that kind of stephen king signature um like kind of ecosystem within the social dynamics of the of the community that it takes place in um and i feel like that's something that just doesn't wasn't either wasn't attempted or was cut out of the movie entirely um yeah that's, that is that is that is true he's yeah. king's always very good at capturing uh like communal trauma or yeah. like um you know the the uh i guess the the attitudes of a town and and like um ma- making a community a single entity and and, yeah. and reacting to to an extreme event mm-hmm. he's always very gift, gifted at that i mean there's so many yeah. examples of it um and that is, it's present in the book for sure. It's mm-hmm. maybe not his best example of it, but it's yeah. present in the book and it works in the book, but it's, it has yet to be captured in any of the adaptations. The the right. TV adaptation tried, yeah, uh, but they failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was, yeah, I respect them for trying. I do, but um, yeah. And I don't know, this one, uh, I I don't know I don't know but it's been eight nine almost ten years at this point um, I don't know if they would ever remake it I'm sure that they will eventually but um, I'm I'm curious to see if they ever if someone else ever takes the reins on it Yeah I, I could see it happening Yeah Yep Yeah Um Any other thoughts on Carrie 2013 uh, not really. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wish I had more. Uh, I, so I feel like Chloe Grace Moretz sort of, 
I don't want to say she fell off or like mm. she disappeared, but I feel like her popularity waned quite a bit after this. And she didn't, yeah. I didn't see her in a lot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently um, started watching the peripheral on Amazon. Oh, nice. I haven't seen it, but yeah. She, yeah. She's the star of that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really good. And that show is really fascinating. I think you would like it a lot. Nice. Um, it, yeah. It sounds right up my alley. It's a little flawed. Like there's a couple things I wasn't thrilled with, but 80% of it, I was like, this is really cool. And they did a good job with it. So nice. I, I, but I th- I'm very, I'd be very curious to see, to see what you, what you think about it. Very nice. Yeah. I'll have to check it out for sure. Um, so with this being the conclusion of our carry series, um, first, obviously I feel like neither one of us are going to have a positive answer to this, but does this iteration of Carrie make your top 19 adaptations list for Stephen King properties by any, any stretch? No, no, unfortunately it doesn't. Um, I didn't even really need to think about it that hard. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, I don't want to say we shit all over it because I don't think we did, but I I think there's just, we're, we're critical of it. You know, they, they tried some things and they didn't work, you know? Yeah. And I, like, I do respect the effort and I do respect and, sympathize with the fact that it was very like you said seems very heavily produced and having it having it be a victim of of interference so anytime you have something that i feel like especially in like adaptations when you have someone who is adapting someone else's vision to a different medium and thereby doing that like that's hard enough as it is but having someone else interfere with that whether it be a studio producer whatever um inflicting their will onto it you're going to get a less than stellar product when like the comp like when the director's vision of the of of a property that is always is already someone else's vision and already someone else's adaptation twice over at this point you're going it the finished product is going to suffer no matter what so i feel like the kind of the the odds were already stacked ridiculously against kimberly pierce with with this uh project and it it's a competently made competently created like finished product and everything but it it's a story that could just be told better I agree. Yeah. Nice. Um, for me, it's not on my top 19, <laughs> obviously. Um, I do have the 1976 carry on my top 19. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have it on mine. I don't, I don't think I'd put it on there. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, you do not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, Oh, I forgot to tell a check-in that I saw The Shining in the theater again. Um, so anyway, I just forgot about that. Um, yeah, so do we have anything else? Uh, is that our review of uh, Carrie 2013? I think that's our review. Nice. All right. Well, 
Uh, that'll do it for this episode then. Um, next week, uh, next Thursday, I'm going to have an episode, uh, reviewing two stories from Night Shift, The Boogeyman, and, uh, sometimes I come back with our friend Kim C from the year of underrated Stephen King. Uh, that's going to be released next Thursday, the 29th of December, but it is available to all patrons right now as you're hearing this. So check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, you get a ton of content on there that, uh, yeah, there's a link in the show notes that has basically all of the Stephen King related stuff, uh, on Patreon. So check that out. Um, for what we're going to do going forward, I think the next episode that we're going to do in January will be uh, hopefully a review of Fairy Tale. And then I've got ideas for what we're going to cover in 2023. Um, but we'll, Tiny and I will discuss it on off mic and everything because <laughs> I don't want to commit to like, oh, we're going to we're going to do a, a full on audio book of the dark tower series. Um, <laughs> but it's our <laughs> own audio book. No, um, we're not going to do that, but we're, we're hopefully going to have a lot of stuff in 2023. Um, yeah. So, uh, tiny, any parting thoughts? Like 2022 is done. Um, this is, yeah. Uh, any, any thoughts yeah. on 2022 in the, in the world of Stephen King? <laughs> I mean, I think it was another good, another good King year. You yeah. know, he's, he's still so relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, it's another good year and I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll see 2023 mm-hmm. and 2024. I mean, mm-hmm. see what, uh, what old Mikey Flanagan has in store for us. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, and, and the man himself, I, you know, yeah. he's always working on something. Um, oh Yeah. I I have a feeling he's gonna he's gonna die in the middle of something. You know what I mean? Oh like yeah, Jesus! I, I don't think. Well, I'm just saying. I don't. I'm just saying. I don't think he'll ever stop. Is oh no no say. no yeah 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 yeah. Oh absolutely. Oh yeah. We are we are very spoiled by Uncle Stevie. Um, yep. Yeah. So all right. Well, I'm gonna start playing us out um, <laughs> before Tiny condemns anyone else to death. <laughs> Um, I know what is wrong with that. I know. Uh, but anyway, uh, once again, th- check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting us through 2022. We're going to be back in 2023 and next week, uh, with a new episode, but, uh, until then, uh, thank you guys for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. Awesome. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I went down there and I was like... We were walking down the hallway, and I apologize if I've said this before, but we were walking down the hallway, and then I was like, oh, wait, hang on. And I pointed to uh, the men's restroom um, that w- that's right right inside the hall, right before the freight elevator in that building, um, before you get into inventory. And I was like, that, that bathroom right there, the toilet in there, that's where <laughs> I finished reading The Gunslinger for the first time. <laughs> Like, I I have a vivid memory of reading The Gunslinger, finishing the book, 
uh, while I was in the bathroom. <laughs> um, Put yeah. a plaque on the wall there. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but yeah, I majority also... of the books I've I read there. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.